Welcome, everyone, to the Defenders podcast by Fantastic Geek, the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. Hello, Matt. Hello, everybody. And while this is the Defenders podcast by Fantastic Geek, you are listening to this on the Daredevil feed. You are listening to this on the Jessica Jones feed. You are able to hear this on the Luke Cage feed and also our Iron Fist feed, because today we're talking about the path that these four heroes have taken to wind up at this dream uh, team up eight episode series yeah we discussed back and forth you know how where do we drop this and uh certainly if you've enjoyed us on any of those uh those feeder series or if you've enjoyed us on the defenders feed heck maybe you'll love everything the fantastic geek does and you're listening on the pop culture podcast feed this is it pete this is what has been planned since i believe november 2013 uh heck if you go back even farther to uh the the development that went on for the Jessica Jones series originally for ABC, then possibly for ABC family. Uh, it's all come down to this, the larger, the larger connections. And uh, here we are, Pete, in about one week, it drops. I've seen the first four episodes. I can't wait to get through the rest. And it's definitely been an earned situation. We've had five seasons of television to arrive here. Buzz from the uh, from the entertainment press has been, I, I'd say it has gone from pretty good to good. Um, Pete, I'm not expecting necessarily in these eight episodes to do a dive deep on uh, on uh, disability, on Catholicism, on on gender, uh, on race, on what it's like being a super rich white guy like Danny Rand is. I'm expecting. All our friends, not just those four friends, all the friends that we've met in Marvel Netflix to come along, whether they're goodies, whether they're baddies. I'm expecting callbacks. I'm expecting good fights. I'm expecting Pete at the end of it. Good guys to have won a sense of, uh, you know, a certain sense of finality here. I'm, I'm expecting a rollicking good time at the movies at home on Netflix. I think in addition to our main characters the the thing that makes this such a unique miniseries outing whatever we're going to refer to this is that we kind of get the greatest hits of supporting characters that go along with all of these characters as well and that's really fun in addition to Sigourney Weaver so um again props to them for having the vision to seeing it through and you know now we benefit from it on netflix it'll be interesting to see how things uh how things go down in the course of eight episodes uh i'm i'm always mindful of uh, how the first season of daredevil so much was right for me, the pace was just a little too slow, and none of the subsequent seasons of any of the uh, the Marvel Netflix uh, shows have had that particular pace to it. Um, and now you multiply it by you know these many more leads by potentially not just Sigourney Weaver, but what other uh, baddies might come along the way. All the supporting characters that are going to be in, uh, in in Defenders. To me, I'm expecting the pace that we saw at the beginning of Daredevil Season 2, where things are just flying, uh, as opposed to the slightly more kind of ponderous and reflective look that we got back when this thing started. Well, um, again, I've not seen 
all eight episodes, but I can tell you from the way it's set up, it seems to occur over a much smaller span of time. Well, Pete, let's go through, just kind of remind ourselves, remind everybody where things are up to with these uh, with these characters. Uh, of course, when we last left the Daredevil portion of the story, uh, we had dove even deeper into the mystery of the hand. We we got one appearance of Madame Gao in season two, which feels like forever ago since she's shown up in uh, in Iron Fist. And there was that question of the the giant hole in Midtown. Yeah, it's funny to think that we've had 26 episodes of of Daredevil. It seems like it's been a long time since we we first saw these uh, the villains, the Russians, the the Japanese, the the Chinese, um, the guy who they wouldn't name for the better part of uh, the first several episodes. And, you know, by the time that they were digging that hole in the middle part of the second season and the hand had this much larger plan, um, there, I think, was a very direct trajectory into the Defenders. It is astonishing to think that we got Daredevil in 2015 we got daredevil in 2016 and then by way of defenders we're getting daredevil in 2017 i in no way would have said that we've had daredevil new daredevil on tv each year for the past three years it feels like forever ago it does and i i don't exactly know why that seems to be the case i mean again we're on every marvel cinematic universe tv show so maybe it's just (laughs) The, the breadth of content with, with these eight episodes, Matt, they're going to be up to 192 hours of Marvel TV that's aired. And then once we get all eight in humans, we're going to hit 200 exactly. Wow. Well, I think you've hit the nail on the head. Why? Since, let's see, Daredevil, the, the last, uh, that, that second season was released on March 18th, 2016. Um, probably was late April by the time we finished that up uh, podcast-wise. So since then, we've had, uh, what, a season and a quarter of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. We've had uh, Jessica Jones. We've had uh, Luke Cage. We've had uh, Iron Fist. We've, I mean, we've had all this great TV. So that's why it feels like forever since a cold day in hell's kitchen aired all the way back in the, uh, the late winter of 2016. Absolutely. And, you know, you think of the growth that's gone on with daredevil and his world in particular in hell's kitchen since then feels like he went up the ladder as the man in black through each of those threats, beginning first with the Russians and then moving on to uh, Mr. Nobu. And then, uh, you know, a, a little bit of involvement with uh, with Madame Gao, you know, more so with the financial end, Leland. And then, of course, you have uh, Wesley helping out uh, Fisk. Uh, Wesley's uh, murdered by Karen Page, albeit in self-defense. And really, you know, there's. Well, there's good and evil, and there's that great speech by Fisk about, you know, being the ill intent um, and the, the biblical end of it before we we finally get to the showdown and we get Daredevil in the suit. Um, Fisk greatly believes he's the hero of his own story, and this um, 
relationship he's he's begun with Vanessa and protecting her after the attempt on her life by Leland and and uh, the members of the group there. You know, just a lot of great intrigue and, you know, an excellent, I felt, first entry for Marvel on Netflix. It's worth keeping in mind, too, that the the quality of Daredevil through its first two seasons is, uh, I dare say, in spite of the uh, some of the showrunner drama that went on behind the scenes, um, it initially was put together by Drew Goddard, who then left Pete because he was going to make his fortune with the uh, Spider-Man 3 spinoffs that Sony was going to do there with uh, the Spider-Man before the Spider-Man we have now. Um, so he left. And what a bummer, man, that, you know, the guy leaves for that. And then the, the, the hack fallout and everything that allowed Sony to um, make the movie with Marvel for Spider-Man. And, <laughs> and now, you know, the guy could have been continuing to run this. And uh, yeah, it's not. Them's, them's the break in the biz. That's the bu- business part of show business. Um but then most of season one, show run by Stephen Tonight, who was, was I, I think, did a wonderful job, but was clearly brought in to run season one and not to necessarily, you know, kind of carry things on from there. Uh, season two, show run by uh, Douglas Petrie and Marco Ramirez, who were tapped to do Defenders, and then Petrie left right before Defenders started. Um, so it's like, again, all this kind of showrunner drama still, at the end of the day, you know, Jeff Loeb is making sure that there's a steady hand on the, the tiller here for Daredevil and then for Defenders. And, you know, it's full speed ahead. Absolutely. And by the time we returned to Daredevil in season two, um, there's, you know, that great chase scene that begins that ends in the in the church. Obviously, these characters are in a much different place. Things almost seem to be going too well. <laughs> Um, and then of course you throw Frank Castle into the mix, taking out the, the various gangs and, you know, the, the arcs that occur there between, um, the, the Punisher stuff, which then segues once he's caught into the Electra stuff and then weaving back together in the third, um, part of those 13 episodes, really bringing us to, I mean, if if there's one I think that's must watch, it's Daredevil for the reason that they they bring so many of the characters, it seems, are going to be a big part of the Defenders, whether it's Matt Murdock, whether it's Foggy, whether it is Karen Page. Um, you know, Marvel's already thrown it out there, so I'll... I'll you know, talk about Frank Castle again, you know, so many of them seem to come from there, uh, more so than the other series. And it's, you know, if agents of shield is the mothership for the Marvel cinematic, you know, TV universe, daredevil is that for the Netflix side. And to add to what season two does, uh, Electra, you have a, a deeper understanding of the hand at the time, I, you know, well, obviously season two ends with some questions. What's the hand up to? What exactly is the depth of their, uh, their operation? So on and so forth. What's with these, uh, urns? What's with the blood collecting only to discover, um, 
well, by the time we got to Iron Fist, which had its own deficiencies, which we discussed in depth in the Iron Fist podcast, um, but that picked up and went even deeper on uh, on the mythology of the hand and all that they were doing. Um, really, in retrospect, a really elegant story handoff. Again, some execution issues for Iron Fist, but in terms of setting up, at least what I, Pete, in my spoiler-free existence, uh, what I can only assume is some sort of, um, w- whether it's entirely the hand or hand plus another group, whatever it might be, all that we... <laughs> the thumb, that's right, the foot. <laughs> Pete, it's the Foot Clan, and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles come at the end, and you say, what? Um, that's the big, the big surprise. Uh, anyhow, just this idea that we've had all this mythology and all this setup to earn a Defenders miniseries. Pete, not to seed it in one movie and then say, now go see Justice League. Oh, sorry, that's the other <laughs> universe. But I digress. Yeah, and, you know, so when we get to Jessica Jones and, you know, just a wonderful memory, I think, for both of us being at New York Comic Con in October of 2015. And, hey, all right, so Jessica Jones is coming and we're going to show you the first episode right now. And to get the daredevil end of that universe and then to see it fleshed out with a different character in the, in the same, you know, Island of Manhattan, um, with a different tone and just such a raw and real portrayal by Christian Ritter of, um, Jessica Jones, I think really upped the ante as far as we, what we could do dramatically with these shows that maybe you couldn't do on regular broadcast TV. Uh, not to say that they don't do a great job dramatically. I picked a fight with the USA Today TV critic uh, the other day who said that uh, Marvel doesn't seem to understand that uh, their ABC shows are terrible. Um, they're not you're terrible. Um, and then I saw that uh, Matt, of course, took a swipe as well. As did, I don't know, I, I, I think much of the uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Twitter uh, intersection that Fantastic Geek has, they were replying to the guy. They were favoriting my tweet. They were retweeting other people's tweets. I can only imagine that that guy, you know, he didn't like it, Pete, because how dare the little people tell a tell a, a critic what's what, you know. But, um yeah, wonderful stuff going on for Marvel ABC, wonderful stuff going on for Marvel Netflix. And I continue to come back to Jessica Jones as my favorite of the the Marvel Netflix bunch. And I kind of, I've explored why, because it's not like, gee whiz, Pete, I had fun in those 13 episodes where they explored topics like rape, assault, and PTSD. It's not because of that. And it's not, it's not because of that that I appreciate the character, it's it's her her tenacity and her her ability to bounce back and her ability to whether in this day and age you want to call it you know resist whether you want to call it fight back whether you want to call it uh, you know insurrection some of those larger uh, larger connections there but there's a there's a sense in Jessica Jones to not forget the past but to put the past behind you and to start working towards. The next thing sometimes the next thing is revenge sometimes the next thing is getting over the thing in the past um but there's just kind of a there, there's a keep on going attitude that i think is timeless maybe nowadays it's a little bit more timely you know get, get back on the horse and let's let, let's go at it again 
I think that that show did such an excellent job with a, a female hero. And we, we've seen very little um, of this type of character, particularly as damaged as Jessica Jones is. And, you know, in an era now where there is a DC Wonder Woman movie in the world that is easily the best thing that uh, they've done on that side. Jessica Jones, to me, is the strongest female character we have in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I think I think you could well be right there. And then there's, of course, tons and tons of amazing women in uh, in the MCU. But and in this show in particular. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. I mean, you look down the list of, of fantastic characters there and fantastic actresses. Um, you also said earlier, Pete, you know, this idea that she's that she's damaged. There's that, too, in so many of these characters. Um, you, you know, I think uh, I think of Malcolm's uh, drug addiction, which does not take up a huge portion of the story. But, you know, I mean, this more than any of the four. I think is digging into a variety of, of social concerns, whether it is uh, some of the PTSD and assault stuff for Jessica Jones herself. Um, you know, certainly some of the, uh, some of the drug stuff uh, placed on Malcolm. Even I think of, uh, I think of uh, Sergeant Will Simpson, um, you know, where he's kind of, uh, he's almost radicalized by Kilgrave. Again, that's not, kind of the what that's not what the story is actually about but i think you can you can take a a metaphor for that um just all this pathos all this heaviness that's in that's in this season yeah and lest we forget this was a season of television that was awarded a peabody matt that's no small accomplishment and between Jessica Jones, between Trish Walker, between the contributions of Carrie Ann Moss as Jerry Hogarth, and then, you know, a supporting player like uh, Aaron Moriarty, who played Hope, who really, you know, helps to kick off that season with the end of that first episode. Um, I've not gone back and rewatched the entire first season i have watched various episodes um you know mostly i think because of how heavy some of the Kilgrave stuff is it's it's not a quick hit um but again i i find her story to perhaps be the richest yeah and uh the good news there filming for season two began uh this past april so you figure about six months to film a couple months after that to uh do post-production whatnot so with any luck we're looking at that that march or april range of uh, 2018 which feels a lot closer than it did uh you know back when season one ended uh before thanksgiving in 2015 so we are uh we're, we're moving right along here with more jessica jones then we get into a show like Luke Cage in the very end of September uh, last year, 2016. And from the moment the credits rolled, Matt, um, the word that came to mind with this show was cool. I have never felt more cool watching a TV show in my entire life. Yeah, it is a... It, 
it, it's a phenomenal season of television. Um, obviously touches on social concerns uh, similar to the way Jessica Jones does. Uh, and I think, Pete, for, for uh, suburban guys like you and me, um, it, it, it brought us into what felt that felt like and, and became a familiar place that of uh that of harlem that of the harlem the barbershop the uh the the restaurants the machinations the this the that i mean it really did a wonderful job pulling <laughs> pulling people like us who aren't familiar with with that walk of life necessarily pulling it into uh pulling us into the world of luke cage and and his uh, corner of new york that first scene in pops where you know they're talking about the Knicks and basketball and, and just the city and, you know, Harlem as a localized center of culture and sports and all this other stuff. It was just pitch perfect as far as an entry point. And, you know, big props to Chio Hadari Coker bringing a, a series, I think, that presented – problematic production ideas and decisions and there he, he produces a show that creates a, a tagline for tv guide the more, most important show of 2016 and i mean you think too my goodness uh, uh not only do you have mike coulter of course uh, reprising the role of luke cage but to have Mahershala Ali, who in the you know within uh, what four or five months of Luke Cage dropping was an Oscar winner, yeah, yeah. Um, let alone Alfre Woodard, let alone Eric Larray Harvey, uh, Theo Rossi, Simone Missick, Rosario Dawson. This might be the best uh, top to bottom cast that we have seen for not just Marvel Netflix, maybe maybe Marvel TV period, and that's with that's with big props to the uh, the amazing. Uh, kind of semi-occasionally rotating cast on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I mean, this is top to bottom. These are stellar, stellar actors. It's such an assemblage of talent of people of color, okay? Uh, Missick, I, I just can't wait for her contributions um, with uh, Colleen uh, Wing when they get together. Uh, that we see her uh, very early in the Defenders and that she's placed front and center there is just so awesome. And Theo Rossi is a guy that, that kind of rides under the radar, but what what a great character. He really is that character of Shades, and I was so happy to see him uh, make it through to the end, knowing that he'll be yes. back uh, for, uh, I would hope, for season two. I mean, heck. For all I know, he might show up uh, next week in Defenders in some capacity. Um, yeah, and, and you know what else blew me away about this season? And to me personally, I see a direct connection all the way back to that slightly slow first season of Daredevil. The notion that they took this season of Luke Cage and essentially split it in half. Uh, I in no way, spoiler alert kids, if you're listening to the Defenders podcast hopefully you're up to date with the feeder shows i in no way thought that established tv star of house of cards and other things mahershala ali was going to be killed off halfway through and a new bad guy introduced to be at least your main kind of uh, on foot uh, antagonist for the rest of the season 
completely blew me away. Couldn't believe it. I mean, this is Mahershala Ali has a relationship with Netflix. You figure, hey, it's perfect guy for the role. And it, it's all one big happy family here. Totally blown away that we got essentially two half seasons. Yeah. And I think there's great things done in both the, the cotton mouth stuff and particularly the way they make you feel um, the pathos for a character who's done terrible things and seeing, you know, that particular episode manifest when we get to see what he was like. And we had heard the Uncle Pete and the Mama Mabel stuff and to see those flashbacks. And then, you know, to get the connection with uh, Stryker of uh, having been related to Luke Cage and everything there. The callbacks of the the prison story, you know, that's a that's an excellent episode when we get to see how um, Luke wound up in um, prison the first time. Uh, his creation, we get to see the uh, you know the goofy exploitation, black exploitation type of outfit that you know he he covers himself after he's out and instantly takes off. Um, and then, you know, some of the visual references, particularly, um, strikers outfit, uh, later on the kind of power suit to retcon that in was really, really fun. And then before we wrap up discussion of Luke Cage behind the camera, and there've been some phenomenal directors for both Daredevil and Jessica Jones, but to have this wide variety of directors, uh, for Luke Cage, uh, Paul McGeegan, who has done some Sherlock, uh, Vincenzo Natale, who has uh, who has a background in science fiction, uh, Guillermo Navarro, who has an Oscar for uh, best cinematography for Pan's Labyrinth, uh, Phil Abraham, who has done uh, certainly Daredevil, I think maybe an episode of Jessica Jones as well, maybe the best director on TV. I mean, these were these were class A directors that they got for this season, and it's. I feel like it somehow was tied into just that 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 extra bit that takes us from ordinary to extraordinary for this season. Well, you say extraordinary, Matt, because we go from there to Iron Fist. Yeah, and you know what? It's uh, it, it's been a good bit of fun seeing as how um, whether it's the the Twitter accounts for these four characters where they're kind of razzing Iron Fist a little bit or, or things of that sort. I mean, what do you say? Iron Fist season one, move the story ball forward for a lot of the, the hand stuff. Um, I was struck Pete listening back to our, our uh, wrap up for Daredevil season two, all these questions. And we really didn't have an understanding of the hand. I don't mean you and I, of course, we understood things as just about as best as you could, but just where where the story left off back at the end of Daredevil season two, how far uh, Iron Fist brought it, um, some of the great female characters in Iron Fist. But at the end of the day, you know, I put it at the feet of showrunner Scott Buck. I, I Yes, fine. Danny Rand is in an unlikable situation. We're all normal people. He's super rich. Pete, when I went to go get a driver's license, I had to, you know, pursue a driver's license he just buys an aston martin and drives without a driver's license because he's rich guess what that's bruce wayne too people still like bruce wayne that's tony stark people still like tony stark it's up to the showrunner to make it gel and it didn't yeah um i ran a poll on twitter um with some of the discussion that has happened in the wake of 
the Inhumans media rollout, uh, which has not gone well at all. And uh, I asked people, you know, who is the biggest uh, villain in the um, Marvel Cinematic TV universe? And the choices that I provided were Grant Ward from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Fisk from Daredevil, Kilgrave from Jessica Jones, and showrunner Scott Buck. (laughs) And Scott Buck finished a very close third Kilgrave won it with 34%. Fisk was second at 27, but Scott Buck was a very close third with 24%, Matt. So I don't know margin of error, but there were 196 (laughs) votes, and I'm pretty sure he's within the margin of error of being the second biggest villain, at least on this list. We had some other people chiming in with some different villains here. Um, mentioning particularly some of the agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. There's been a lot. You know, you had Garrett, you had Whitehall, you had Malik, you had Ada. Um, But, uh, you know, there's a lot of people who seem to think Scott Buck has a big part uh, antagonistically that he's played. Um, This character presented issues same as luke cage in terms of okay uh we have a we have a guy who has powers um luke cages i think were a little easier to integrate his world um i I talk about the cool factor they couldn't have hit it out of the park any better in using the club uh, in in using the music in that series. And I was excited when I first got the screener on uh, Iron Fist. We see him walking around. We had seen part of the scene at New York Comic Con last October where he walks in for the first time and, you know, we hear the Outcast song, So Fresh and Clean, and I'm like, okay, like they're, they're going to seize on the music too, and we know that he's going to have this this great connection eventually with Luke Cage and they just never seem to find the, the footing that any of those other shows seem to find as far as tone. Um, some of the performances are, are really uneven. I mean, there's the things you can count on Rosaria Dawson is in it. And I think she's in it more than any of the other shows. And she's really needed to kind of hold it together. Um, you know, uh, Jessica Hennick is is a find. Um, we could tell from the reaction that the cast and crew gave her when we saw them at New York Comic Con that they were really proud of the work uh, they saw her do and, and they helped her to do. And again, you don't want to scapegoat Finn Jones because I think a lot of what went wrong with this series was on the page first. Well, and when I look at the list of directors, I reach that conclusion, too. They're there to direct one episode. Andy Goddard, who did an episode, um, has done Downton Abbey. Deborah Chow has done Mr. Robot. Kevin Tantarowen arguably has directed the best episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, Farron Blackburn has directed two episodes, two beloved episodes of Doctor Who. Pete, uh, 
the uh, there was even a director this season, uh, new guy on the block, Miguel S- uh, Sapochnik. Uh, he's done apparently uh, some some. There's there's an Irish show, uh, Game of Thrones, that he did the last two episodes of season six. There's yeah. <laughs> tremendous talent here. How, quite frankly, Pete, the best episode visually of uh, of Iron Fist was uh, episode 106, Immortal Emerges from Cave. That's directed by Riza, who I believe at the time, and I'm looking quickly now, I believe he had not directed TV before. So full credit to him, uh, Pete. I know you're you're a big uh, a big RZA fan. Big credit the, the, to him. The woo stepping up in the last two shows as the culture of them makes it possible. You know, we had Method Man um, towards the tail end of Luke Cage and the Bulletproof Love stuff, and then you know you get the RZA here. Maybe we bring the whole Wu Tang Clan, the the, the existing uh, members, back at at some point. Maybe that's the end of the Defenders. They battle the Wu Tang Clan. <laughs> I don't know, uh, but you know, I I I think there were a lot of uh, you know good contributions, but coalescing as a whole, it never happened like it did with some of the you know those two middle series in particular reached such dramatic and artistic heights that we haven't been back to yet and you said these episodes you know you just use the phrase these episodes coalescing it's not miguel sapachnik's job to make episode five work with episode four which he directed episode four or rizza to make sure that he's picked up from episode five when he directs episode six that is the job of the show runner who's running the show and to me, there's this very straight line from the lesser reviews for Iron Fist, the increasing stink cloud over uh, over Inhumans, um, and the fact that Scott Buck will not be back for Iron Fist. You know, to me, I, th- these all point in the same direction. I don't mean to overly pile on the guy. I'm sure he's lovely. I know that there's a handful of people who enjoyed his showrun season of Dexter. Um and it's great that he um, did some six feet under. Um, but, you know, I think there's a reason that he's not back. And I guess the best we can hope for, if Daredevil has only improved with uh, the best intentioned showrunner changes, if Scott Buck has kind of been shown the back door, then let's bring in somebody who's going to really uh, jazz things up here. Heck, Pete, I don't know. Let's see here. Uh, Jessica Jones and Daredevil improved by people with different perspectives i'm just gonna throw this out here why don't we get (laughs) why don't we get you know there's a lot of asian influence on iron fist even though the character himself is not asian uh maybe asian showrunner let's see what kevin tantrone is doing he's done all these great episodes he's got showrunners in the family whoever it is let's bring in somebody who's going to do more than let me pound out 13 episodes so i can get you two defenders yeah and we speculated at the time when we were podcasting Iron Fist as in humans was ramping up pretty hard, how much of the pivot from Iron Fist to Inhumans and that all both of them being on the lap of Scott Buck um, played a role with seemingly both fiascos. <laughs> Well, uh, I guess looking ahead now, finally, to Defenders, uh, Pete, now the, the sun can come out again. I mean, just looking <laughs> at this at this uh, this list of main characters, uh, you know, 
Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, Elektra, Punisher, Claire Temple, Misty Knight, Karen Page, Colleen Wing, Trish Walker, and there's still more on the list. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I guess Pete, the best thing that could possibly happen is to make us say, hey, the Iron Fist was really good in that Defenders. I can't wait to see more of him as opposed to kind of how we feel now. Yeah, it's it's a great, great group. I, I think that to find these types of performers and to bring them all together in a project like this is increasingly rare. Um, and to think how much TV led us to this point, you know, 13 episodes times five, what are we talking about? 65? Yeah. 65 episodes of TV to arrive at this point for eight episodes against Sigourney Weaver, Matt. I can't (laughs) underscore that enough. And being in the room when that was announced for the first time, as we talked with a couple of New York comic con organizers within the last eight weeks, they had no idea that was going to happen. <laughs> Which is to the credit of, uh, of Jeff Loeb and how Marvel TV runs things. Uh, it crossed my mind, Pete, as how do we put this? Because, of course, A, I always run spoiler free. And B, I would never download something off of YouTube that I thought was going to be uh, copyright flagged shortly. The ease with which one could find the uh, San Diego Comic-Con um, uh, presentation of the uh, um, Avengers trailer that's out there. Okay. How many times have we been in a Marvel TV panel where they say, this is not a joke. These are private security guys. They will have night vision goggles. You will be taken out if your phone is out. And not a single phone is out and no footage ever shows up until they are ready to release it. Yeah. That's every time. Jessica so, Jones didn't show up. Yeah. Not a, not a, not a stitch. Now, um, is there less demand? There's definitely less demand for the TV stuff than the film stuff. That's, there is no bias. There's no slight in any way when we say that. That being said, people abide by that direction. So I, you know, so here we are with uh, with a week to go. Um, Pete, let's talk. Let's talk format here. How are we going to be? Uh, how are we, how are we going to be watching? How are we going to be podcasting? Well, beginning on Friday, August eighteenth, uh, we're certainly going to take in that first episode, and we will be bringing you that uh, podcast for that first episode that night. You'll be able to get it that day so pete the plan after that is uh we're looking at tuesdays and fridays releasing episodes from there i know you got some family stuff going on i got some family stuff going on so uh certainly that's our goal maybe fingers crossed pete maybe it's at a slightly faster pace than that but uh we want to give we want to set down the baseline of expectations yeah, uh, check your feeds. Certainly, uh, Tuesdays and Fridays should be the days. You never know when something might pop up a little earlier. And then, you know, there's those Patreon people we're always looking to take care of. Absolutely. 
Uh, if you are listening to this on the feed for Daredevil or Jessica Jones or Luke Cage or Iron Fist, uh, we're going to be putting those feeds back away until there's uh, further news about those individual seasons. Uh, so uh, either hop on to the Defenders feed or uh, if you love what Fantastic Geek does, there's always the uh, pop culture podcast feed that gets everything all our shows all the movies that we go to uh little extras and bonuses star trek uh discovery etc so however you listen we look forward to watching defenders with you absolutely it's taken it seems such a long time to wind up at this point but that we're at the precipice of it right now seems almost unbelievable we could not have gotten this far without the support of our listeners, particularly our pals on patreon.com slash fantastic geek. Uh, they, and indeed all of you serve as a reminder for us to keep doing what we're doing. The people like what they hear. And uh, of course, want to give one more bit of extra thanks to our Patreon pals. Yes, particularly Mary Kirk and the level that she contributes at. Get yourself to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N slash Fantastic Geek with the P-H all one word. Everybody who contributes it gets exclusive podcast content. And then, of course, you can pick various levels that you're comfortable donating at. Pete, as Defenders unfolds, how can people be in touch with you to talk about talk about future episodes, stuff you've already seen, to, 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 to tap into the wisdom of Spoiler Pete? <laughs> wow, easy on the wisdom there. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 9,416 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast anytime you want. We are Fantastic Geek. That is fantastic with the P-H. FantasticGeek.com. You can leave a comment there. You can email FantasticGeek at gmail.com. You can uh, see us on Twitter or Instagram at FantasticGeek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash FantasticGeek. Again, one word with the P-H. Like it. And all of the stuff we do will show up on your feed. I'll just mention one more. The, 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 the least used way in which people get in touch with us it is, of course, our Google Voice listener line. You can leave a message at 732-707-1815 and uh, let us know what you think of Defenders as you start to dive on in there. And uh, with that, Pete... It is time to uh, to start the countdown clock. We are a week away from Defenders finally hitting. It's exciting times indeed. I will say adios to all our listeners and give you, Pete, the final pre-Defenders word. Come together right now. Shoot.